Welcome to Montrose Bible Church. We're so glad you've chosen to join us as Pastor Matt and other church leaders challenge us with a message from God's Word. Well, this morning we continue our sermon series from the book of Matthew. As Jesus responds to the scribes, the Pharisees, and the group that gathered around them. Now, in their latest encounter, the religious leaders demanded of him a sign in hopes that his failure to produce one would justify their unbelief. But they found no such justification. Only Christ's rebuke. This isn't about signs and wonders, he told them. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's about a right relationship with the Lord. And what better way for Jesus to illustrate that point than in the company of his own earthly family? Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 12. And follow along as we read God's word together, beginning in verse 46. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and my brothers? For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. May God bless the reading of his word. Now if you are following along in the New American Standard, the King James, the Legacy Standard, or the New International Version, you would have read verses 46 through 50, as we did. Because those five verses are presented just so in the text. But not all translators agree on there being five verses in this pericope. In fact, if you have the English Standard Version in front of you, your paragraph moves directly from verse 46 to 48 with verse 47 missing altogether. It's what we call a textual variant. A place where the text varies between certain New Testament manuscripts and others. It's remarkable that we do not come across them more often, considering the fact that we have over 5,000 handwritten manuscripts in the original Greek language, each from a unique time, place, and tradition. And as with anything that is copied over and over and over by hand, these manuscripts do contain slight differences, like the insertion of an alternate spelling, accidentally skipping over a word, copying the same line twice, or including a note that was meant for the margins. Of course, critics love to point out these textual variants as if they represent an argument against the trustworthiness of the Scriptures. But these discrepancies only bolster our confidence that the Word has been properly preserved. For one thing, the 
majority of textual variants are so insignificant, they cannot even be translated into English. And even where there remains a question as to which option is original, not a single one impacts any central Christian doctrine. And that's true of the variant that we find here. Either verse 47 was added at some point to certain manuscripts as a scribal note and then copied by the next editor in line, or it was omitted at some point because of its perceived redundancy. We can't be entirely sure, but either way, it has no real bearing on the meaning of the text. No, it basically repeats the same action of the previous verse, only with different phrasing. And it closely parallels Peter's retelling of this same event, recorded in Mark chapter 3, verse 32. So the thrust of the passage remains. The changing definition and dynamic of the family. First, Jesus questions the family relationship. Now take a look back at verse 46. While he was speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, we were already introduced to Jesus' mother, Mary, in the birth narrative of chapters 1 and 2. But this is Matthew's first mention of Jesus' brothers. Of course, that is not at all unique to Matthew. We also hear about them in the other three Gospels and the book of Acts. And that's significant for a number of reasons. For one thing, it directly contradicts the Roman Catholic doctrine called the perpetual virginity of Mary, which maintains that even after Jesus was born, Mary remained a virgin until the day that she died. To support that dogma, Roman Catholics have suggested that the word brothers here refers either to Joseph's sons from a previous marriage or to the sons of Mary's sister who had the same name. None of that has any founding in Scripture, mind you. But they are adamant on this point because it exalts Mary to a place of veneration. Well, veneration is what the Catholics call it. You and I would call it worship. For that reason, Mary must have remained pure, chaste and celibate even after jesus virginal birth that's how the doctrine goes despite its clear contradiction to biblical history as the distinguished roman catholic scholar daniel harrington notes in his commentary on this passage it is doubtful that matthew knew the tradition of the perpetual virginity of mary yeah that's pretty obvious Because not only does our gospel writer note the arrival of Jesus Adelphos, he includes their names in the very next chapter. Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers 
James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters. Are they all not with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Surely Jesus had brothers and sisters born to Mary and Joseph by natural means once they were married. That much is pretty clear. But why had they come to speak to Jesus on this particular occasion? Matthew does not offer any explanation in his accounting, but his counterpart, Mark, does. As he came home, the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. And when his own people heard of this, that is, his mother, his brother, his sisters, when they heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. While Jesus is speaking to the crowds, preaching and teaching and performing his miracles, his family went to take charge of him because they believed their eldest half-sibling was a bit out of his mind. His own kin. Those for whom he had likely been caring since the death of their father Joseph. They had come to carry him off to some safe place in Nazareth where he could indulge his delusions without hurting himself or those around him. That's why Jesus responds so sharply to the members of his natural family here. They were trying to prevent Christ from his ministry. They were trying to prevent Christ from his duty. They were trying to prevent Christ from accomplishing the will of his heavenly Father. And that will not do. So Jesus acknowledges what every one of us knows but is unwilling to say. That when it comes to an all-out pursuit of the living God, sometimes family gets in the way. I'm not saying that to offend anyone, to rile you up or to cause issue, but the truth is the truth. As illustrated by this very text, and when it comes to an all-out pursuit of the living God, sometimes family gets in the way. And knowing that is the case, well, perhaps we should start thinking about family a little differently. Surely that is why Jesus poses this question in verse 48. He said, who are my mother and my brothers? Really? These men and women who stand over there at a distance trying to prevent me from proclaiming the kingdom of God? That's what we call family now? I know we might have a little of the same DNA in common. And we might share the same last name. But are they really in my family if they are determined to stand on the outside? side that's an important spatial and theological position that matthew is describing here 
And we mustn't miss it. Jesus and his disciples are inside. Mary and Jesus' brothers are outside. Because they haven't been following him nearly as close as the rest of his disciples. Now we know that after the resurrection, the members of Jesus' family did eventually come around on this. But during Jesus' preaching and teaching ministry, we are told very clearly in John chapter 7, verse 5, that his brothers did not believe. It's strange. It's peculiar. And it's ironic that the Holy Family was itself outside the household of faith. But it's true. That in the words of Matthew Henry, his mother and brothers stood without, desiring to speak with him when they should have been standing within so they could hear from him. That's what prompts this question about real family. After all, if we are not to be bound together with unbelievers... If there is no fellowship between light and dark. If we are called to come out from their midst and be separate without so much as touching what is unclean, as we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, then how many of my natural relatives can still be considered close kin? The answer for most of us is not nearly as many as we would like to think. You see? When his mother and brothers are on the scene, Christ takes this opportunity to teach us something about family. First, Jesus questions the family relationship. And then in verse 49, Jesus redefines the family relationship. After he asked, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Jesus answered, by stretching out his hand toward his disciples and saying, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Now clearly, the men and women that Jesus points to in the crowd are not his relatives by flesh and blood. That list would include only Mary, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. So on what basis can Christ call them his mother and his brothers? Well, somewhere, somehow, some way, they must have entered in. But how does that happen? How do you become part of a family? Of any family? The way I figure, there are only three different possibilities. Either you are born into it, you are adopted into it, or you marry into it. Those seem to be the only ways of entering a family unit. And Scripture speaks to all three. In order to be part of this supernatural family of God, you must be born again, John chapter 3, verse 3. 
You must receive the spirit of adoption, Romans chapter 8, verse 15. And you must attend the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, verse 7. Most of the people in Jesus' first century audience, now most of the people reading the book of Matthew at that time, they were convinced that their Hebrew ancestry made them part of God's family. Many churchgoers today maintain that same illusion. But we are not all part of God's family. Nor is that status determined by our heritage, our upbringing, or our last name. Jesus says, never mind those things. If my own mother is not my spiritual relative by default, then what do you think that means for you? No, you must be born again. You must receive the spirit of adoption and you must attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. Otherwise, you are no kin to me. Huh? Those are the only ways to join the forever family. And the forever family is the only one that matters in eternity. That's why spiritual relationships demand such priority, even at the cost of earthly ones. Isn't that what Jesus was talking about back in chapter 10? When he said, I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. For he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now this is a harsh reality, friends. Because Jesus is not talking about some mild, temporary, or manageable disagreement between members of your family. The words he uses there, set against, they mean to cut in two. To sever ties. To separate and alienate in a permanent kind of way. I mean, that's hard in any relationship. But especially when it comes to your kin. And I get that. But as hard as it may be, the true disciple of Christ must be willing to endure it. Knowing that your relationship with Jesus is much more important and he's given you a new family of faith to replace the old one of flesh. Even his own mother his own brothers, his own sisters had to learn these realities. And thankfully, they did. For on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in power upon the church, who do we find inside the upper room, joined together with Jesus' true spiritual family? Acts chapter 1 verse 14 tells us, that these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women 
and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They weren't part of that company because they were Jesus' natural blood relatives. They were part of that company because after the resurrection, each of them individually placed their hope, their faith, and their confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. Then, and only then, did Jesus' mother become his real mother. Then and only then did his brothers become his brothers in the faith. Are you there? Jesus questions the family relationship. Jesus redefines the family relationship. Jesus reveals the evidence of the family relationship. Take a look back at verse 50. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Jesus asks. He then stretches out his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now you can imagine the swell of pride that must have come from the crowd as Jesus points his fingers in the crowd's direction and says, This is my new spiritual family. Well, I guess that's the end of it. I'm in. I mean, surely that was their reaction, just as it is among so many who claim to be part of God's family today. I made my profession. I got dipped in the water. There's nothing more required of me. I'm in. Well, but even for those who are in, surely that is not the end. No, if you are in a personal, intimate, familial relationship with Christ Jesus, then this is actually the beginning. The beginning of a life that must more and more every day look the part. That's the identifying characteristic the distinguishing factor the ongoing evidence and the final proof of your family status whether or not you are doing the will of god the father if that's a little too obscure a concept well luke records it another way my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of god and do it You can't stop at, I believe. Your belief has to become evident in the outflow of your life. Otherwise, on the day of determination, God will not find your, I believe, very compelling. For not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus told us but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Now, in the opinion of R.C. Sproul, these are the most terrifying words ever to come from the mouth of Jesus. 
Because they take aim not at those who are out and out opposed to God Almighty. But to those who believe they are in a good and right standing relationship with the Lord. Many will make that claim. Including a large number of people who are gathered right now in churches across this country. Many will make the claim that they know Jesus well enough. The problem is when Jesus assesses the situation, he doesn't see it the same way. Anyone can say, Lord, Lord. But if it never goes any deeper, if it's never backed up by any evidence, those words aren't going to carry a whole lot of weight. For though this people honors me with their lips, Christ says in Matthew 15, their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Don't you see? I mean, you can show up to worship. You can sing the songs. You can pray the prayers. And still none of it is credited to your account because in your heart of hearts, You've never placed your hope in Christ. You've never embraced him with every measure of intimacy. You've never given your life to the pursuit of God's will. And according to Jesus, that's the evidence of a true saving relationship. That's the proof of of the family status that you have claimed. For as he states so very clearly in verse 50, only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Have you made that your life's purpose? To carry out the will of God with every thought, with every word with every deed I hope so because your relationship with the father your relationship with the son your relationship with the people right here in this room depends upon it let's pray together Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity once again to come and hear from you, to study your word, to gain in the wisdom and knowledge of the Most High. Thank you for that privilege, Lord. Thank you for helping us to understand more about family. Not that you would have us reject our natural families categorically, but Lord, you help us understand the importance of being in right relationship with you. That that's our true family, our spiritual family, the family that matters in eternity. Lord, I know this can be hard. I know this can be a challenge. Lord, but you have given us power of your Holy Spirit to pursue your will, to obey your word, to give evidence that our lives have indeed been transformed. And Lord, you've given us the right 
and the privilege to be called your brothers and sisters through your son, Jesus. Something we don't deserve, but we greatly appreciate, Lord. We thank you for it. We pray that you continue to be exalted in our midst now. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. I trust you've been blessed by the study of God's Word. For more information about Montrose Bible Church, visit our website, montrosebiblechurch.org.